Our next guest is uh, the surgical director of lung transplantation, and he's a cardiac surgeon at the Mazankowski Alberta Heart, Inst- or, uh, Heart Institute. Excuse me, uh, Dr. Jayan Nagendran is with us. Uh, Dr. Nagendran, good morning. Thanks so much for making the time. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I appreciate you taking a minute to chat with us today. I mean, when, director of lung transplantation and a cardiac surgeon. Um, just tell us about the work that goes down there, and you've, you've created a machine that has really advanced lung transplants. Just tell us about what you've come up with. Yeah, thank you. So you're, you're absolutely right. Um, you know, the University of Alberta and the Mavinkowski Heart Institute is one of the uh, largest lung transplant programs really in the world. We're in the top 10% of the world for the volumes of lung transplants done, um, doing over 70 lung transplants a year, double lung transplants mainly. And Despite those successes, we still have very many patients who would benefit from transplantation that sadly died before getting a transplant. Actually, one in three of our patients listed for lung transplantation do not survive long enough to successfully get a lung transplant. Yet, with that tragedy, we don't use all the donors we get offered. In fact, we use a very small percentage of them. Of the precious gifts of life we get offered, we end up using less than 25% of them. And many of the reasons that we're unable to use some of these donors is because in the donor, there are issues with how those lungs are functioning. And if we can liberate them from that donor and actually show those lungs could function normally, we could transplant many more patients. So that's exactly what we've done Uh, with my colleague, Dr. Darren Freed. We've designed machines that are built to really be like a robot chest. We take donor lungs outside of the donor, place them in a normal environment on our devices where they can actually breathe, actually have blood flowing through them, and then show objectively that they're actually good quality organs. And we successfully transplanted 12 patients using organs that otherwise would have been thrown away. So in order to do this, you you have to repair these lungs. Is that right? Repair is potentially part of it, but a large part of it is that the conditions by which someone becomes a donor are often catastrophic. And as a result, organs are limited to being able to be assessed in this somewhat toxic environment or less than ideal situation. So if we can simply take them out of that donor where things are not ideal and place them more inside a ideal setting, which it would be in URI, for example, then we can say, look, these lungs are actually good, but there was no way of us knowing that inside the donor. But you're absolutely correct. There's specific things we could do outside of the donor as well. We can place a fiber optic scope, like a bronchoscope, down the airways outside of the body and actually clean out the lungs if there's things obstructing it. We can actually sew areas of the lungs that might be damaged uh, or torn to make sure those lungs are going to be usable for transplantation. And one of the other major aspects is that the the Mazinkowski Alberta Heart Institute is geographically the most isolated transplant center in the world. We serve a catchment of over 6 million square kilometers, hmm. serving over 7 million Canadians because we are the transplant center for all of Alberta, all of Saskatchewan, all of Manitoba, and and the territories, those patients all come to our program for thoracic transplantation. So when we do get a donor, we're oftentimes struggling with a very significant geographic barrier 
to allow for us to safely get those organs back to our center. Currently, what we do is we send a team out, let's say to Winnipeg, and we procure those organs, those lungs, and place them in an ice cooler, which is relatively unsophisticated, but that's how it's always been done, and then race them back to our center to be sewn in by myself the second they get here. And that process has a lot of uncertainties and also leads to us turning down a lot of organs because of all of those uncertainties along the way. Hmm. So, Doc, we, we're, we're talking about lungs specifically here, but I'm wondering, would this work for other organs as well? Would this open up that avenue too? That is absolutely correct. So through support from the University Hospital Foundation, we've been able to establish our laboratory into the uh, ex vivo organ perfusion center. And in that center, we are actually uh, keeping all solid organs alive outside of the body. And that includes hearts, livers, kidneys, and even most recently, we've, we've done that with limbs as well, trying to keep limbs alive longer for transplantation. So um, Dr. Freed, who's also a pediatric cardiac surgeon, has been working for years on an ex vivo heart device, and that continues to be an evolution, and we hope to use that on patients uh, over the next one to two years as well. Wow. Okay, so I just want to reiterate then, Dr. Nagendran, that the MAS has the largest adult and pediatric heart-lung transplant program in Western Canada. So what does that what does that mean in terms of how many transplants you're doing yearly? What does this what does that kind of break down to when it comes to actual patient care? Right. So in the uh, in the lung transplant space, we're doing uh, over seventy transplants a year, and and that's only um, second behind Toronto in terms of the country. And uh, like I said, in the world, that puts us uh, in the top ten percent of volumes uh, for one center. And in the heart transplant space, we're doing a little bit less than that, probably. Uh, in the in the 40s range, but uh, we have a very robust ventricular assist device program as well that also serves these patients with end-stage heart failure that can eventually bridge them for transplantation as well. So um, that combined program is extremely active, uh, treating patients with end-stage heart failure either with ventricular assist device therapy or with transplantation therapy. And, and doctor, I mean, uh, Obviously, this is drawing worldwide attention in part because of that NASA competition that we've talked about before here on the show. Just tell us about your involvement with that. Sure. So the NASA iTech program is a spin-in program, if you will, that NASA puts on to identify technologies that could have applications related to their endeavors. And uh, we were fortunate enough to win their Ignite the Night competition back uh, actually just over a year ago uh, when I was able to travel to uh, Tampa Bay to um, present there. And what they saw as some of the synergistic efforts is uh, tests that they could do to understand uh, areas of torpor or hibernation that they hope to place uh, astronauts in in the future. We just... Uh, we saw how Perseverance landed on the surface of Mars. There's plans to have humans traveling into to Mars or even deeper space and, and inducing states of hibernation as part of that. And potentially by studying organs outside of the body, we could better understand how we could do that. Uh, furthermore, they have a lot of exposure to radiation out there in the cosmos and uh, potentially understanding what those effects could be on individual organs outside of the body is also an area of uh, interest by NASA. Amazing. 
you just know, I remember amazing. talking to you last year, Dr. Gendron yeah. and both Shay and I just, <laughs> just kind of looked at you like, is this, is this man for real? <laughs> the things that you're talking about, the things that you're working on are just so incredible when it comes to, when it comes to breakthroughs in technology and in medicine. So thank you so much for the incredible work that you do. Uh, we'll let you get back to your real life and your real important job now, but we, we certainly appreciate you being on with us this morning. Thanks so much. Thank you. It's a, it's a privilege to be on, and I, I'd like to thank the University Hospital Foundation again for uh, their their support, really, from the inception of what we've been doing and all throughout, and it's ongoing. So we're very appreciative of that. Well, thank you so much, Doc. Have a good day. Thank you. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance <laughs> recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the ring.